Hi, my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York, and um, um, you know, it's a pleasure to talk, especially um, with this being, you know, Thanksgiving weekend. And I think about, um, you know, when I had forgotten that I had signed up for this um, service, um, but I had signed up a while ago, and you know, it's pretty significant because for me, this holiday, well, really, you know, it probably around Halloween, but generally by this holiday or by Halloween, any diet or any mode of control that I would have been trying would have been blown, you know, and that today would have been a day where I would have continued to eat, you know, very different from non-compulsive overeaters who might overeat on Thanksgiving. You know, I always say that you can really, you can't tell who the real compulsive overeater is on Thanksgiving because everybody's eating, you know, but what's happening Friday is usually a pretty good indication. And so it's really a pleasure to be talking today, um, you know, being being entirely abstinent. And, you know, this is, um, it's going to be 10 years uh, in February that I have, um, been entirely abstinent and um day you know day in and day out um and uh you know so thanksgiving is just another one of those days um but but I remember a time when it wasn't you know when it really was just i would say it was the beginning of the storm you know of when I would just keep eating right through to new year's um and then some so you know my um my story is that uh in the at the top my top weight I was over 300 pounds. I stopped getting on the scale um because it was just too too upsetting. I don't even look at the number anymore, but I know that it was over 300 pounds. And um and I have released over 160 pounds and have been you know able to really live free of the food and I you know and I rem- but I do remember when I first you know, came into OA, and especially, um, you know, having come again and again, it was important for me, and it was very helpful for me to see people who had had, you know, come from large numbers, um, because it seemed an impossibility to ever release that weight, and yet um, it's not impossible, you know. I am... I'm pretty certain that I was born with this disease of compulsive eating because, um, you know, my first words were more. <laughs> and um, and I would, you know, um, I would, at a very young age, I was eating in a way that my siblings did not eat, you know. Um, and I, and I, and I always wanted to know why, you know, like, why, why is it that I'm like this? Why, why am I different? And, you know, and there's a solution. It says that opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We're not sure. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. So, you know, the why question, um, it, it's maybe interesting, but it doesn't give me any it doesn't give me any solution if I'm just going to look at the why. And for me, it really was an immature question because um, what I really wanted was to assign blame to someone, you know, probably my parents. And they did the best they could. You know, no, no one set out intending to, you know, groom me into a, be a true blue 
addict. Um, they did what they did. Um, you know, maybe they made mistakes, um, but it's my responsibility today. I'm going to be 55 years old this month, and well, in December. And it's my responsibility, regardless of what anyone did or didn't do. And I know my parents loved me, and they did the best that they could. Um, you know, my early memories, they're all food-related. And lots of people I know have food-related early memories, my husband included. And I thought that it was my food, you know, because I've always had this thing about food, you know, my food memories must be part of what makes me a compulsive overeater. And, um, but, you know, my husband said, mm, I don't know, I have a lot of, he told me once, I have a, he said, I have a lot of really great memories of food as a kid. I remember what my grandmother made and what my mother made. And, and then I realized there's a huge difference with us because his food-related early memories are happy. And mine are a feeling of longing, of desire, because I never had enough. No matter what anyone ever gave me, my experience of it was that it was never enough. Um, you know, I often share with people that I really remember my mother would take out a cake, and before the first slice was cut, I knew whatever my piece was, it wasn't going to be enough. And um, And it wasn't that they didn't cut me a large enough piece, it's just that I have a food, I have a very specific food allergy. So um, my experience of food is that it's not enough for me. You know, um, I went on my first diet at 10 years old. I went on Weight Watchers um, because I was a fat kid because I experienced food as never being enough, you know. And uh, But I lost weight at that point, and I was, a normal size until about 14 or 15. And then um, at that age, I decided, um, I remembered I wanted to get really skinny, like I thought maybe I was fat. And I look back at those pictures at that time, and I wasn't, I wasn't large. But I had that unnatural, you know, outside this abnormal response to food and eating and my body. And I went on a very strict diet. I basically starved myself, and I got really skinny fast. And I got a ton of attention for it. It felt amazing. And then I remembered I came home one day, and there was something in the freezer, and I ate it. And it was like, I don't know what happened, but I know that I crossed a line because that starvation diet, I couldn't get back on it. And the next thing I knew, I was 100 pounds heavier. I mean, that's what it felt like to me, that something happened that day that I came home and I ate those, they were, you know, they were frozen jello pops, <laughs> you know, frozen jello pudding pops, and I ate the box. And then there was more in the free, you know, downstairs freezer, and I ate the next box. And then I just ate everything that was in the cabinet. Um, and so the next number of years, for many, many years, was was trying every scheme, everything that money, you know. And I tried lots of pay-and-way programs and lots of schemes that I threw money at it. And, you know, um, by the time I graduated from college, I was 280 pounds and my life was a mess. And I looked around and my friends were having success and I wanted to get a job and I wanted to get married. And that was like my goal. 
And I went to OA pretty much accidentally at that point, and I found out about the allergy of the body, which was really useful information for me. Um, But I didn't really understand what it meant to have the other part, that strange mental blank spot. Because I've got a twofold problem. I have an allergy of the body, but I have a mind that over enough time would convince me I don't have this problem after all. And so I lost weight at that point on this incredible food plan, which is pretty much what I eat today. Um, But I didn't do much outside of following an abstinence food plan. And abstinence was my, you know, it was my God and my food plan was my religion. That's, That's how I practiced my program. And then I got married and I went on my honeymoon and I you know, it says right in more about alcoholism on page 32 that I fell victim, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink like other men. You know, and um, and I gathered all my forces and attempted to stop altogether and found I could not. So the same way that I, you know, I had gotten thin um, in Overeaters Anonymous that first time, and I got all the things I wanted. I got the husband. I got the good job. I got you know, moved out of my parents' house. I, you know, and then I went on my honeymoon and I picked something up. And it was just like that time back in high school when I ate something and I couldn't get back on. That was my same experience. And so, you know, um, I regained all that weight really fast and. That's what it was like in my early marriage, that every week something else didn't fit me, and I was a miserable wife. I don't even know how we're still married today. It's, You know, my husband and I have been together, you know, over 30 years. We've been in each other's lives, but we've been married um, over 26 years. And um, those early years of marriage where I was battling the food and gaining weight was miserable, you know, um, I um, I would lay in bed, you know, years later, I had, you know, had children, and I would lay in bed at night, um, uh, my kids would be sleeping across the hall, my blood pressure was dangerously high, I could hear, like, my heart pounding in my ears in a resting state, because my blood pressure was so crazy, and I would cry at night because I knew I was doing it to myself, and I couldn't do anything about it. You know, I would have these little bursts of recovery every now and then, but I didn't know that I could actually recover from this. I didn't even think that was possible. So I kept going back to OA, but I would do it uh, what I call now the OA light way, which was basically take what you want and leave the rest. I took what was easy and I left the things that required diligence and hard work. And, you know, and what happened for me was that I finally reached a point where I became willing, willing in a way that I had never been before. And it came really at, um, at a point where the food stopped working. And for anybody who's out there today, my suffering, my prayer for anybody suffering is that God let the food stop working. Because um, 
for me, I reached a point, you know, it says in, there's a solution. It it says that um, we reach a point where we passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid. And at that point, we have but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other is to accept spiritual help. And basically, my choice at that point was eat myself into a coma, eat myself so that I am, like, numb to the reality of living, which, by the way, if you eat till you're numb to the reality of living, you also numb out the good stuff, right? You numb out having your babies. You numb out having a husband. You numb out holidays. You numb out, you know, all the happy times, too. It's not like I got to choose what got numb and what didn't. and But I did reach a point where the food stopped working. I couldn't get to zero anymore. And at that point, you know, I decided to accept spiritual help. And, you know, so what does that mean to accept spiritual help? Well, for someone like me, I I needed a miracle of healing. You know, that's what step one really means is that my powerless means that no human power can relieve me, which means the only chance I have is a miracle. Um, you know, it, it's a power greater than myself. And so I took step one, and it was more than just admitting that I had a problem with food and specific types of food, which I got years ago. But step one means that I embrace a very specific concept that I find in the doctor's opinion. And it comes at the end of the explanation about the allergy. And it says that this phenomenon, as we've suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. So step one means that I absolutely accept and embrace the fact that I am distinct, that I am different, that I am forever different. And that is still my experience today. My step one means to me that when I celebrated Thanksgiving at my sister's house, I made damn sure that my food was clean and clear and that I didn't eat in a in a um, social, you know, hang out all day long kind of way. It meant that when I got there and people were eating and sort of hanging around the buffet, that I didn't eat until it was dinner time. And when it was dinner time, I weighed and measured my food just like I do on any other day. And it means that I really accept that and embrace it. Um, It also means that I accept and embrace that I'm going to work all 12 steps to the best of my ability on a daily basis, you know. And then I took step two, and step two, you know, I I reached a point where it says form your own conception. You know, I wasn't interested in God. I thought I was too smart. I actually remembered thinking at one time when I found out that part of step one meant that my mind was broken. Well, when I got to step two, I thought, well, how is my broken mind going to come up with my own concept? And, you know, the most incredible thing has happened for me in this program. This is a program of miracles, right? 
what happened for me was when I asked that question in a very smart-ass attitude way, um, first of all, no, you don't get to make up your own concept. You get to make up your own conception. Conception means start. I get to decide where I'm going to start, and I'm going to be open to finding out more and more about what God is in my life. But when I reached that point with that very smart-ass attitude, uh, what happened was I, I heard a voice in my head, and it sounded like my dad's voice, and my dad is gone, right? My dad's passed, and the voice that I heard was, don't be so smart. You want to get better or not? And that was my truth. I did want to get better. You know, I I found out that it's only a matter of being willing believe in a power greater than myself nothing more was required for me to make my beginning and that growth could start from that point that's what step two really means that I'm going to do everything with my human power to cultivate and form a relationship with God and that meant for me daily prayer and meditation that is part of my daily discipline. I wake up in the morning and the first, you know, I pray and I meditate for 30 minutes no matter what. Because if my step 1 is solid, which is I need a miracle, well people who need a miracle, they pray whether they believe it or not. And what happened is my belief grew over time. My step 3 was um you know, I suffered from know-it-all syndrome and, and a need to be in charge. And for step one means that I was going to have to surrender looking at all the people in my life and the things that they were doing wrong um, and maybe say, you know what, maybe I don't know. You know, step three was I decided to fire myself and allow myself to be governed by my employer. And basically, what does that mean? I join Team God. I ask that my thoughts be his thoughts, that my desires be his desires, and I ask for the strength to do what he wants me to do. And then I continue to take the rest of the steps. I know I've got like a minute and a half left. Steps four and through five, I put it all down. And, you know, there was a point when I whined that I'm entitled to feel afraid, but I also know that I'm entitled to feel more. I'm entitled to have peace and joy and a relationship with God. And when I finally told my story to someone entirely, I felt the nearness of my creator, and I knew that I was never going to have to use food the way that I had been using food before. You know, today, I work these steps. I work all the steps. You know, um, I want to just say that steps 10, 11, and 12 are not just a catchphrase for me but it is my life. I owe everything to Overeaters Anonymous because it saved my life. I met my creator through these rooms. The fellowship introduced me to a spiritual path, and it gave me a purpose. And I know that I'm going to be asked to leave a topic. And, you know, the topic for me is that what does it mean to have a deep and effective spiritual experience? Um, because that's what we need. We need a deep and effective spiritual experience where God enters our hearts and lives 
and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He accomplishes for us the things which we could not do for ourselves. And that's what happened for me. And with that, I will pass. Thanks.